Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 through to 12, verse 14. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing, is, doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God. And he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. If you had known that what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, Will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for your word and your spirit. We pray that uh, you would be working in our minds and our hearts now to change our thinking, change our attitude, change our behaviour, that we would be people who love you and live in accordance with your will. And we pray the same for our children as they gather in in the kids' church. In Jesus' name, Amen. In getting to church today, did you have to do any work? My guess is that you might say, well, yeah, I mean, it did take some effort to get here on time, but ultimately the answer is no, you might say, because I do not derive my income in any way uh, on my way to church, unless, of course, you're a taxi driver or you happen to be employed by the church like myself. But uh, you'd answer no, I I didn't have to work Uh, in order to get to church. But this is not a simple issue for Jewish people 
getting to the synagogue on the Sabbath. Let me explain that. Um, The Old Testament law uh, does uh, does say that God's people should not work on the Sabbath. Uh, For example, in Deuteronomy, uh, in Jeremiah chapter 17, it says this, and I quote, This is what the Lord says, Be careful not to carry a load on the Sabbath day or to bring it through the gates of Jerusalem. So, what does it mean to carry a load? What does it mean to work? Over the centuries, the rabbis have developed long lists of things which they say constitute work and constitute carrying a load. Uh, Including that carrying a load means pushing a pram um, or pushing a wheelchair or a walker. Uh, A load includes carrying your house keys. And in fact, uh, you're not allowed to drive a car on the Sabbath because that involves turning an ignition switch, which ignites the engine. That's called creating a fire and doing so on the Sabbath. Uh, One uh, person said that they lived in an area of Sydney where they had a lot of Jewish neighbours and it was almost always the case that if he went for a walk on a Saturday that one of his neighbours would come out the front and would ask him to come inside and to do something for them, like turn on a, a light switch because that was work which they could not do on the Sabbath. And it, it makes it difficult to actually get to the synagogue on the Sabbath if you can't drive a car or push a um, pram or a wheelchair. And so modern Judaism has come up with a solution to this. It's called an Erev. And so you're not allowed to... There are certain things that you can do in your... Um, on the Sabbath within your own household, like pushing the stroller and so on. You can do that within your own household. Uh, But what they've come up with in terms of being able to help people to get to the synagogue on uh, on the Sabbath is this, that uh, they build a a fence around an entire region, uh, like multiple suburbs, which has a synagogue in the centre... And then all of the Jewish homes within the perimeter of that fence are considered to be one household. And so therefore you can do certain things within that perimeter. It's not a physical sense in a, a physical fence in terms of uh, what we might normally understand that to be. It's sort of like a physical but of kind of a virtual fence because it can comprise of barriers such as waterways, rivers, um, Uh, coastline etc. It can comprise of things like electricity poles with their cables that run across, uh, existing fences and a whole stack of other things like that. And so as as long as you stay within the fence you are considered to be at home and many Sabbath regulations do no longer apply uh, to you. There are several areas like this in Sydney including uh, where I grew up, 
uh, in the eastern suburbs. And the particular Erev around my district uh, has a website which says that this uh, wall, this fence, allows people to carry their house keys, to carry extra clothing, um, to carry reading glasses, uh, to push prams. Uh, you're allowed to bring extra nappies with you uh, on the Sabbath. But for some reason, you're not allowed to carry phones, wallets or umbrellas and because they're covered by a different set of, of rules. Uh, one rabbi was excited by this because he said that it would now make Sabbath observance more bearable. More bearable. So what's happened here? I mean, they've, they've made up so many regulations that the Sabbath has become a burden. But what is the Sabbath all about? The, the word Sabbath, it's a Hebrew word, and it, um, it has two meanings which are connected because it means seventh and it also means rest. Because when God created, uh, worked for six days, on the seventh day, what did he do? He, he rested. Now... In Matthew chapter 11 and 12, which you might want to have open, Jesus shows us what it truly means to participate in the Sabbath. Um, because this issue of Sabbath do's and don'ts, it's, there's nothing new in it. This, it was the same in the first century, in Jesus' day. And here in his ministry, we see two examples uh, of this, uh, what you might call Sabbath legalism. First of all, in verses 1 to 8 of chapter 12, a scenario, Jesus and his disciples were taking a walk through um, a farmer's field one day. They were hungry and so the disciples plucked some grain and they ate it. Uh, this is not stealing. The law of Moses allows for people to, to do that. It's part of uh, the generosity in God's law, so they were allowed to do that by the law of Moses. But some Pharisees saw this and they pounced. What the Pharisees were doing on the farmer's field uh, on that day, we're not told. Uh, but they pounced because the day was the Sabbath. And they accused the disciples of, therefore, working on the Sabbath. Now, how might we expect Jesus to respond to this criticism? I mean, he could say well, to the Pharisees, well, look, these men, they weren't working because then this is not harvesting. Uh, these men are not farmers. This is not what they do for their, to derive their uh, regular income. They were not working. They were just hungry. And so they... But this is not how Jesus responded. Um, take a look at verse 3, if you wouldn't mind. In verse 3, Jesus answered by saying, Haven't you read... I like that because it's code for saying you guys should know this. You guys should know this. And then he reminds him of an incident when David was fleeing from the deranged King Saul who wanted David dead because King Saul was jealous of David. And David and his men fled to the house of God which was in a place called Nob. This is before the temple was built. Um, it was into the house of God that they fled. And some of the priests there gave some bread to them to eat. 
Now, the thing is, this was no ordinary bread. This bread had been consecrated by the priests for the service of God. And here they are dishing it out as food to David and his men. Um, And yet God did not punish the priests of Nob for doing that. Um, David was not punished either. Why? Why weren't they judged for doing that? Hold that thought. Because Jesus makes a second point in verse 5, having reminded them of David eating the consecrated bread given by the priests at Nob. In verse 5 he says, Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet they are innocent? Now what's he saying there? Well, the priests work in the temple where God symbolically dwelt. And they work on the Sabbath because they're offering up sacrifices on the Sabbath. That's work. But yet they're innocent. They're not doing anything wrong by doing that. So what is the key issue here? Well, in verse 7, Jesus quotes from Hosea, the prophet, and he reminds them of what God says, that when God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You see, is God really interested in meticulous, fastidious religious law-keeping? Is that what God's on about? Well, no. Mercy always trumps religious law-keeping. That's what God's interested in. God is interested in mercy. Uh, the priests of Nob, at Nob, they could have said to David and his friends, look, um, you know, we know that you guys are hungry, we know that you're fleeing for your life, but sorry, pals, um, this bread has been consecrated to God, uh, we can't break that, and um, so we're not going to give you any. They could have said that, but they understood the concept of mercy trumping rules and regulations. Jesus says more. In verse 6, he goes on to make a staggering statement to these Pharisees where he tells them, he says, I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. Now, how can that be? If the temple represents the presence of God, then how could anyone be greater than the temple? Well, only if they are God in the flesh. And that is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, don't worry about your temple, don't worry about your Sabbath regulations because something bigger, something greater, something more profound is going on here. God is present. Because the temple was only ever a pointer to a greater reality and that reality is Jesus, God in the flesh. And he goes on in verse 8, because if Jesus is God in the flesh, well, he declares in verse 8 that the Son of Man, that is Jesus, is actually the Lord of the Sabbath. What does that mean? Well, again, what does Sabbath mean? It means seventh, but it also means rest. Jesus is the Lord of the rest. And what that means is that everything which the Old Testament taught about resting, about Sabbath is actually fulfilled in Jesus. 
It's all about Jesus. Because, friends, in Jesus we find ultimate rest. We find rest for our souls. I remember one time a man named John, he'd been coming to church all of his life. And he was in his mid-50s, I guess. And as I got to know him, I realised that that he was spiritually burdened. One Sunday over morning tea, he, he said to me, look, I've been coming to church all my life. I've tried my very best to be good. I try my hardest to obey the commandments. But he said, I keep failing. And he said, I don't know what to do about that. Is there another way? I said, you betcha there's another way. <laughs> and John and I um, and some others spent some time studying the Bible together over several weeks. And one night, studying through Romans chapter 5 together, John discovered, and the penny dropped by the Holy Spirit, uh, John discovered what that other way actually is. As he learnt about forgiveness through the death of Jesus. And I remember him saying, as he was wrestling through this in his mind and his heart, he said, you know, does this mean that Jesus has paid for my sin already? I said, yes. And he said, does this mean I can actually be forgiven? I said, yes. And he said, does this mean that I can be sure I'm going to go? I said, yes. To heaven. And it was delightful to, to see the, the, the grin of joy on his face as the, the burden of his sin uh, had been lifted uh, as he came to understand the rest that he can enjoy because of Jesus and what Jesus has done on the cross. Uh, this is conversion and this is the experience of so many people uh, as we come to understand the gospel <laughs> Uh, he delightfully he said to me, I like that. I said, that's, that's great news. Because at that moment he entered into the true rest. He entered into, participated in the Sabbath. Have a look at verse 28 of chapter 11. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will give you Sabbath. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am not a tyrant that's going to burden you down with lots of rules and regulations. I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, the second example of Sabbath legalism occurs in verse 9. Let me read that for you. Going on from that place, Jesus went into their synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now, now notice whose synagogue it was that they went into. It must be the Pharisees' synagogue. That's the context. So Jesus is not intimidated, is he? He goes straight into their lair in a sense. And there's a man there who's got a shriveled hand. I do not know what a shriveled hand means. Um, don't understand, we're not told what the medical issues are, but I imagine that this was uh, quite an affliction for this man and would have made life difficult, especially in terms of doing physical labour and earning a living. 
medical work on the Sabbath was forbidden by the rabbis and their rules and regulations, unless it was a matter of life or death, which this one was not. So the Pharisees try to corner Jesus with a question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? This is not just an academic um, inquiring mind question that they've got. Their agenda uh, is to, uh, to trap Jesus because if Jesus doesn't heal the man on the Sabbath, well, they, they all know that that's not merciful. If he does heal the man on the Sabbath, then he's breaking the Sabbath regulations which they have made up. And so in, Jesus, in verse 11, Jesus answers their question with a question of his own. Don't you hate it when people do that to you? you know, they put the, <coughs> turn the blowtorch back on you. And he, he puts this scenario to them. If you own a sheep which falls into a pit and it does that on the Sabbath, it's not necessarily a life and death situation for the, for the sheep. Are you going to wait till the next day or are you going to pull it out of the pit? And he knows the answer. Of course I would pull it out of the pit. Well, Jesus' response is, well, how about showing a little bit of mercy towards this person who's actually a human being, a man made in the image of God? And at this point, in verse 13, Jesus tells the guy to stretch out his hand and he's healed. Now, this is a terrible Sabbath day for these Pharisees. It was so bad that in verse 14, they began plotting to kill Jesus. Um, but what about the man who was healed? Um, this was an excellent Sabbath day for him because he had experienced the mercy of God in Jesus. Now, what then should be our attitude towards um, the Sabbath day. I want us just to flesh that out for a few moments. And I think that's an important question because it's not just uh, Jews living in the eastern suburbs of Sydney who've got um, problems with the Sabbath and issues with it. Uh, it does create issues amongst Christians as well in various churches. Um, for example, some churches say that uh, the Sabbath must be a specific particular day and no other day other than that. Uh, there are churches that say that Saturday is the Sabbath and that it is very wrong um, to uh, meet as a church on a Sunday. Um, a friend of mine had a newspaper article written about him by one of the people who believes this uh, saying that he was leading people astray because his church meets on Sunday true story. I asked him if he'd framed that newspaper article. Um, it's uh, in his files somewhere. Also, some Christians have regulations about what you can and cannot do on Sunday. Uh, I was once uh, criticised because I organised a church barbecue to take place on a Sunday afternoon and barbecues were not allowed um, in one person's mind on a Sunday. Uh, one preacher I know was trying to explain to his congregation uh, what they can and can't do on Sundays and he told them with all seriousness that uh, you cannot watch uh, rugby 
on TV on Sunday because it's too exciting. It's not restful. He went on to say, cricket's fine though. And he wasn't kidding. He believed that. So, thing is, what difference, what should we make of this and, and what difference does Jesus make? Well, I want to just go through a few points quickly here, which you may find helpful. Uh, first of all, let me say that uh, it is right to rest one day in seven. Um, in the Old Testament, we know that, that that's the way that God has made us. We're wired that way. It's, it's healthy for us. Uh, not to be people who are continually working uh, without stopping. Uh, it is right to work, uh, to rest one day in seven. Uh, that is healthy for our bodies, it's healthy for our minds, it's healthy for our relationships. And as we rest from our work uh, one day in seven, um, in Australia we often get two days in seven. Um, no problem with that. But as we rest from our work, uh, we are therefore in a position where we can gather together as God's people um, to encourage each other, uh, like we are doing right now. Secondly, in resting from our work, we express that we are people who trust in God. Uh, in Exodus, when uh, the God provided the manna from heaven, uh, they, Israel was to collect the manna on six days, but not on the seventh day. And they, God actually provided for them um, on the seventh day. Uh, by resting from our work, we express that we believe that the universe is not going to grind to a, to a halt because we're not on the tools, because we're not at work. Uh, by not working uh, one day in seven, we trust, we're expressing our trust that God will provide for our physical needs. Thirdly, by resting and gathering now, we express our hope for the future. Uh, for even though we enjoy rest uh, for our souls in Jesus... Uh, in that he has paid for our sin and we have that, um, that, we've entered into that wonderful relationship with God. We still struggle, don't we? Uh, not that we struggle with Sabbath regulations. No, in this life, our struggle is against the world, the flesh and the devil. Our struggle is against temptation and sin, which means that there's a sense in which we're at rest, but we're not yet fully at rest. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 4, uh, we are encouraged uh, not to be like Israel, who, uh, although they had entered into the promised land, which is the land of rest, that they, uh, they had experienced God's mercy uh, in, in that, but yet they did not continue to trust, to love and to obey God as they should have. And so we are not to be like that. Um, in Hebrews chapter 4, uh, it says of us, uh, there remains then a Sabbath rest 
for the people of God. So we're in the Sabbath, we're resting now in Jesus, but there remains a, uh, a, a Sabbath rest for us. For anyone who works, who enters God's rest, also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Uh, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example, that's Israel's example, of disobedience. Now, uh, we could spend a lot of time unpacking that passage, but the point that I want to make is that uh, this means that the, that the Sabbath actually points to a time in the future, a time when all those who have remained faithful to Jesus uh, will be gathered around the throne of God forever, um, free from temptation and free from uh, the, the struggle uh, that we go through in this life, um, forgiven and, and praising God forever and doing so with one another. You may not have ever thought of church like this, but as we gather now, we are expressing uh, our future hope. We are expressing that which we long for. We are expressing the heavenly reality. We are expressing that one day we will all be gathered with God's people from all over the world, from every generation, around the throne of God, singing his praises, knowing him perfectly, loving one another. That is our future. And as we gather together, now we express that reality. Does that make sense? We're expressing that that's what we're longing for. And so, therefore, to be half-hearted or complacent about gathering as God's people um, just doesn't make any sense if that's what we'll be doing for all of eternity. And why do we quibble about such things as which day you should go to church? Is it Saturday or is it Sunday or is it some other day? We should be people who are wanting to gather together as much as we can possibly do so. If that is our identity, if that is the rest that we've found, if that is our future. We don't quibble about particular days. Uh, or about the things which we can and cannot do. Um, the rules and regulations. We don't quibble about those things. Um, in the early church, in, um, for example, in the church in Colossae, in uh, modern-day Turkey, uh, there, this was an issue that was um, emerging in one form or another. And there were some in the church who were judging others on p certain issues, uh, such as the Sabbath day. And so the Apostle Paul had to address this. And in the earlier part of Colossians, he explains again what Jesus has done for us on the cross, the freedom, the forgiveness that we have in him. And then he goes on in uh, chapter 2 to say this. He say, says, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things which were to come. 
The reality, however, is found in Christ. Is found in Christ. And so to quibble about the Sabbath day and what you can and you cannot do on it, that just misses the point totally. These things were only ever a shadow. The reality is found in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is the Lord of the Sabbath. If you are in Christ, then you live in the Sabbath. And that's why Christians don't... Our message is we don't call on people to, to Sabbath observance. We call on people to put their trust in Jesus and to find true rest for their souls forever. So can I ask you then, have you found rest for your soul? Has the burden of the guilt of your sin been lifted from your shoulders because you trust in the one who has come and died for you? Are you living in the Sabbath? Have you trusted in Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the rest for our souls that we find in the one who is humble and gentle in heart, the one who has died for us on the cross and taken the burden of our guilt from our shoulders that we can be forgiven and freed. Father, we pray that uh, we would be people who, knowing that peace which passes all understanding, would be those who continue the fight against sin uh, in this life until that day uh, when the Lord Jesus returns and we're gathered up to be amongst all of your people forever singing your praises in perfection. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.